Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's the second time it's gone off. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Three of Ireland's starting pack off the field inside the first 25 minutes. Our replacement hooker emerges for the second half with one arm hanging limply by his side before quickly making way. A back rower throwing into the line out. A prop playing hooker in the scrum. Another prop sucking for air after barely having played any rugby this season. And still Scotland failed to score a single point in the final 53 minutes of the game. Oh, Scotland. you got to be asking yourselves some hard questions after that one. Hey, Murph. Hey, Owen. How's it going? Hey, Ken. Hello, Owen. How are you? Hey, Simon. How are things? Hey, fellas. How are you? Drink it in, Murph. Drink it in. No, I mean literally drink yeah, up sorry, from okay. the, cent- the centenary quake, which I brought along with me today. Oh, uh, thank you, Owen. Thank you. There you Just go. let me pour this. Oh, oh, sorry. Spilled a bit down my front. Oh, well, I mean, it doesn't matter. You, you you know, Murph, you've got a bit of quake juice on your chin It there. is quite difficult to drink out of a quake. <laughs> Although, to be fair, Old, we have had quite a bit of practice over the last number of years. We should be <laughs> getting the hang of it by now. Smug. Sm- yeah, yeah, this is going to come back to haunt us in, in our world. Named after a Gaelic drinking vessel, of the quake has been presented to the winners of the Ireland versus Scotland fixture since 1980. I've, I don't think I've ever noticed it before, to be honest, since 1989. The prize I was definitely shouting out about the quake last year. The come quake on, before, oh, yeah. I hope you were listening. To celebrate the 100 meeting of the ancient rivals. It's not available to be claimed. This is the key point, though, Murph. You may have mentioned last year. It is not available to be claimed at any other matches outside of the Six Nations. My understanding of that legal fine print means that this is ours regardless of what happens in the World Cup yes. between the sides. Yeah, the quake is ours for another year at least. <laughs> yes, indeed. Drink it in, on. Drink it up. Drink up and drink it in. There was a lot of pomp and ceremony yesterday, wasn't there? Sex and climbing the steps to collect the centenary quake after the match. The hog family gathering that seemed to go on a long time pre-match. Oh, and, and at halftime as well, on. Well, what happened at halftime? His was brother Hard was fans? also interviewed at halftime. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he came on with the kids, which is ap- absolutely fair enough. Then his son comes back on. And I, the, yeah, may I say, he did, he did a good job because one of his kids was bawling, crying. He managed to calm her down, which is always, always good, you know. You show your, show your parenting skills on the world stage. So he brought his kids on. They went off. Yeah, then exactly. One of his sons comes back on with the ball and they do a little 
finger touch fist bump thing yeah. he goes back he's off ba- again he's balling crying by the way Huggy as well he was very emotional around it and I didn't realise at half time his brother yeah okay that, that's well, probably listen, a little bit remember much. you have to remember that Stuart Hogg is the first person to ever reach 100 caps in test rugby you know it's, <laughs> it's an amazing achievement yeah. that we'll probably yeah, never yeah. ever see again so yeah. you know you do need to keep that in mind as well on you know finally we got down to business thought we had a try early on from a Scotland line out only the Scots could have a try ruled out for using the wrong ball to take a crazy risky long quick line out early on in the Six Nations <laughs> match around their own five metre line but anyway Peter Manny was having none of it from the ref just uh, just may have, just may, just may have an issue with a new ball here if they want to play with a new ball it's no problem that's their problem you can accuse Peter Manny of a lot of things but a clarity of logic is never one of them <laughs> that is he does. He Very knows right. what's right and wrong exactly. in, the, in the Omahadi moral sphere. Although, he knows exactly yeah. what he's talking Technically, about. Technically, ref, you're probably right with your, you know, your rules and such, such bollocks. But mm. I mean, come on, Scotland deserve <laughs> to concede a try for that. That's absolute madness. So Andy Farrell said after, as I, uh, I saw this quote this morning, it wasn't champagne rugby, but in terms of character, fight, and want for each other, that's the best game I've been involved in. That's peak Andy Farrell praise. Yep. It was, in fairness, it was uh, considering all the circumstances to win, and I would say in the second half went fairly comfortably without seeming oh, yeah. to be under too much pressure was was impressive yeah adversity and depth of teams once again it was kind of like the perfect Andy Farrell game as he suggested and I'm sort of questioning myself you know when there was three injuries in the first 20 minutes and Scotland were playing quite well and our defence was looking a bit wobbly and I sort of had that sinking feeling and as Shane has touched on this in a couple of podcasts as well our generation basically are struggling to adjust to how good Ireland are and to how Mm. mentally strong Ireland are. So we keep kind of getting ourselves in some sort of a fix in each of these Six Nations games so far. Not like deep holes or anything, but sort of an Irish wobble or Ireland going a bit quiet or the opposition having a good spell and going, oh crap, here comes comes the loss. We're finally going to lose. But the players just aren't thinking like that. The management aren't thinking like that. And it's our, well, certainly my 90s upbringing. I don't know if I'll ever shake it. I think, because... it's, I think it's all right to have that, Simon. I think if you don't yeah. have that as a supporter, you're a New Zealand rugby supporter. And do we really mm. want to be them? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, three and a half years ago, you know, bad things happened at that World Cup as well. So, you know, yeah. like whatever about, you know, we could we could say whatever about Andy the Andy Farrell, mm. the team that Andy Farrell has built over the last two years. But like three and a half years ago isn't exactly aged history now either. Let's be, let's, you know, be clear about this yeah. as well. We, we can't talk about a generation yep. of Irish rugby team uh, that uh, that just relentlessly yep. do the business. You know, and, like, we, and we got to number one. New, yeah, we got to number one before as well and dealt with it horribly. So it's still a new feeling to deal with that we're dealing with it quite well. Yes. Yes, that is true. Now, I will say this, though. In the 48th minute, our flanker overthrows uh, a line-out. Scotland regained possession. They're deep in our... Uh, or they're into our 22. Mm. We're 8-7 seven, we're up uh, with, uh, no, with no hooker. Mm. And at that stage... You can say what you like about Ireland, but what ha- what Scotland did after that? Like yeah. they literally did nothing in the game after that. Yeah, and you know, like we did, we obviously we will talk about you know adversity and uh, 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 mm. by, uh, fighting back against the challenges that were uh, uh, brought to us by injury and uh, absentees and all the rest. But like, let's be honest, like what Scotland did in the last half hour of this game, like just nothing. Just, yep. Like it's amazing that they're at home in a game that they that where a triple crown is up for grabs and they can like there is problems in both set pieces like a line out and that's scrum massive massive issue and we're not talking about like you know the third choice 
hooker coming in. It's literally a guy who hasn't played hooker since school. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know? Like a flagger throwing it at... Like the idea that Scotland couldn't put any pressure on either of the set pieces for Ireland in the last half hour. It's just... Like, it's ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous. Jack Conan I- spoke... I was going to, well, he, he did spoke he always speaks well I was quite interested in the first thing that he brought up in his post-match interview on RT I think it's such a testament to the belief that we ourselves uh, as a squad have in each other the management has in us um, you know we spoke during the week about adversity about what happened a few years ago coming here rocking up a few minutes late we said no excuses we could be you know fast spoke during the week about rocking up 10 minutes before the game and getting the job done so you know, we could have walked off the bus and played and it wouldn't have mattered to us. And it's such a testament to how mentally strong and the resolve that the lads have, that the coaches have fortified within us. Um, you know, to lose both hookers, two world-class players, to lose one of the best back rowers in the world in Caelan Doris, one of the best second rowers in the world is Ian Henderson in the first 20 minutes. I don't know how many other teams can bounce back from that and put on the performance that we did. We weren't great at times. You know, especially I felt when I came on to start, it was probably a little bit sluggish, a little bit slow in some of my contacts, but... Um, you know, it's one of the best days I've ever been involved in as this Irish squad. Um, unbelievable group of lads and to get to win here is just so special after everything that we went through in that 80 minutes. All right, can we finally put the late bus to bed now, guys? Yeah, it's done. Please. It happened. Let's it was never late. talk about it again. We, it's, I mean, it's, it's over. I mean, it was actually part, like, it was part of the like, pre-match build-up. This is the, and it's the first thing that yeah. he thinks that Jack Conan thinks of to talk about after the match. Well, Andy Farrell obviously spoke about it just for anybody who missed it. You know, Andy Farrell spoke about they were on a bus. Wigan were going to play some game against Leeds and they basically had to get changed and warm up on the bus, walked on and smashed Leeds, you know. So he basically was comparing that Wigan team to how Ireland would have lost yeah. that mm. day. And listen, it's Schmitt. obviously, whatever Andy Farrell's doing, it's right as well. I mean, this is like, he's up. This is obviously working. He has them in a situation where they don't care if uh, if something happens, if a number of things happen. In fact, they turn it into a positive. They spin it that this is the kind yep. of adversity you have to go through, and so on. It just feels like that late bus is this weird thing. This really small moment that we might never have heard about if, if Joe Schmidt hadn't brought it up after the game that day. And yet now it's yeah. still something being referenced by players long years. It was a slow bagpiper gone. as well as the bus that won. Yeah, it, but I mean, this is all like just massive shade on Joe Schmidt now. I kind of feel like we should. Yeah, there be, is every a time mentions the bus. Yeah. Every time everyone yeah. mentions the bus, there we should be like, well, you know, Joe Schmidt was actually a very good coach of the Irish rugby team as well we should mention this but like it's it's literally like oh well the last guy you know uh, lost his shit uh, anytime <laughs> you know, smallest thing went wrong but uh, you know somebody now, loses their hotel now. key yeah yeah we've we've grown up now uh, you know we can treat each other like adults uh, and we can now handle like tiny uh, moments of adversity still by I the mean, way Joe Schmidt <laughs> Ireland's best ever coach yeah like, for another week yeah, I mean, I you know, I just kind of feel, nearly feel honour bound to mention that now. now the bus uh. is literally the most important thing that happened in Joe Schmidt's uh, reign as Ireland coach. Can I make can I make one other point on just briefly on Ireland? I was trying to sort of figure out how they keep problem solving in the middle of matches, which used to be like for years our problem. You know, something went wrong and couldn't sort of figure a way out of a hole. But Ireland's sort of superpower at the moment is how versatile all our players are and I know this is kind of stating the obvious but it really stuck out in the Scotland game as much as it was a sort of an Andy Farrell adversity match it was also like Irish versatile players like Hansen is the obvious one absolutely brilliant his third man of the match in eight Six Nations games I think uh, pops up about half the whole time like beating people popped up in the centre the wing scores tries offloads regathers high kicks there was James Lowe getting a rook turnover a vital one on our own line gets his offloads off that beautiful kick up the line like he can kind of do a little bit of everything uh, Gibson Park 
popping, popping up on the wing as well. The likes of James Ryan even now is still getting on the end of sweeping plays when he was just like a basics man up to relatively recently. And even look at, say, we didn't see much of it yesterday, but Ryan Baird's pace, his passing was good. And then we've touched on it, like the likes of Van der Fleer, who can do literally everything. And I think central to us being able to figure our way out of things is that each player can fulfill a number of roles at any yeah. stage in the match. Johnny Sexton is has a chance now to play his final Six Nations game, win a Grand Slam, and... Well, he definitely one one thing he definitely will do is break the Six Nations scoring record, which he leveled up, I think, at Murrayfield. So I mean, it was uh, when Brian O'Driscoll finished up. People said only O'Driscoll could get a send off like that, winning a title on the final day. But it could be even better for Sexton in terms of Six Nations. Ken, are you excited at the start of Grand Slam week, or you just you're very quiet? You're holding your fire for your Lineker pod today. No, it's, I think it's going to be a big week, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Your Cheltenhams, your Grand Slams, your Champions Leagues of this world. Is that basically what you're about to say there, Ken? The, what, are we going to talk about the England rugby game at any stage? <laughs> is, that the one, <laughs> is that the one you watched, Ken? Did you, you watch a bit of England? Did I you? didn't watch it, but I saw the score and I thought, <laughs> could they just put on highlights That's interesting. of this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like I, I, I would. I still haven't seen it, so I'm, I'm interested to hear if there's any. Did, did you know, Ken, that they sacked their coach there in November? But uh, things are going well. Well, we knew that it was going to be a tough road. Um, It was at times going to be a hard road with Eddie Jones. Sometimes you go Mm -hmm. home expecting to eat filled steak and you discover that you're only worth a pound of sausages. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it turned out that England couldn't take that. And um, They're floundering, Ken. Well, I mean, how how long was Eddie Jones out of work? Six minutes? (laughs) (laughs) Who's who's the coach now? Steve Borthwick. Steve Borthwick. He used to play for them, didn't yeah. he? He did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well. He's a plate of sausages, man, I'm afraid. <laughs> on, the, on, the, on what I've seen so far, Ked, he'd be doing well to get a rasher off Eddie Jones. <laughs> it's all right, though. The players have apologized, Ken. Uh, oh, have they? Oh, that's good. Well, yeah, uh, well they'll, they'll be keen to make up for it um, uh, next uh, next Sunday. It's a big week on the World Service, building up to the England game. There's Saturday. The, Saturday? On, Saturday, On yes. Saturday, yeah. yeah. We're going to be building up to that game, obviously, through the week. There's Real Liverpool, as Murph mentioned, in the Champions League on Wednesday night. Not forgetting Stephen Kenny naming his squad for the Euro qualifier against France. I think that squad announcement's on Thursday. So there's a lot going on. Secondcaptains.com, a fiver a month plus VAT to become a member. Another perk of World Service membership is advance notice on live tickets. And our incredible members snapped up the allocation for our 10-year anniversary show at the Olympia Theatre in September straight away. The last few tickets that went on general sale were gone inside 10 minutes. This is the biggest show we've ever done. It's a complete sellout now. So thanks again to everyone who went to the time and effort of getting those tickets. It's going to be a hell of a night. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's going to be stacked full of lads. It's going to be 10 lads coming over. Uh, for the whole thing, so it's going to be absolutely carnage. It's going to be absolutely carnage. Absolutely carnage. It's going to be absolutely carnage. Absolutely carnage. It's going to be stacked full of lads. It's going to be 10 lads coming absolutely over. carnage. Simon, I don't know what you're doing toweling off there. Keep that top off and hit that bomb one more time. All right, four down, one to go. Shane Horgan, we're almost there. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's fun. We've got a special guest at the start of what is hopefully going to be a Grand Slam week. Stuart Barnes, how are you? I'm all right. Um, am I representing England this week? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. In every in, in every possible way. But listen, let's, I mean, the madness of what happened. at or, Organised chaos is how Andy Farrell described the halftime scene. Shane, he says he wants adversity. He got plenty of it. How do you think Ireland dealt with it at the weekend? Remarkably well, actually. I, I, I They dealt better with it, um, and I've said this a few times, much better than I was personally dealing with it. <laughs> I was in the stadium doing commentary for Five Live, and during that period, <clears throat> I thought this game is, could easily be gone. I was I was panicking in a massive way. Um, three major injuries in the first half. Um, our hooker was still on, but couldn't throw the ball into the line out. So I was wondering... How is he managing to do anything else around the field? Eventually, then he goes off. Scotland had a really good first half. Um, were breaking Ireland down. Their rook ball was as fast as Ireland's, almost exactly as fast. I remember looking at a stat. I think it was over 65% of both teams. Rook ball was one to three seconds. Um, and they were really getting after Ireland. I thought this, you know, Ireland could fold, but they did exactly the opposite. They like, They stood up. They were calm, collected, assured, and they had some really big moments. Their their big players, or you know, a couple of big players, stood up and changed the directory of the game. And you know, I, I couldn't can't speak highly enough of doing that. It could have been and should have been maybe a game that got away from them, and they 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 wrestled it back. Who in particular? You said a couple of big players. Who in particular won that game for us? Um, I thought our two wings were exceptional. I thought Lowe's um, carrying his work rate, um, his ability to get around the corner, the way they use, Ireland are using their wings maybe more than they've ever used their wings. Mark Hansen got some amount of ball. That second wave attack that has all the options out the front door, but invariably they were using him out the back door to link beautifully. Um, and being able to, all our back line can pass the ball 15, 20 metres, no problem. You know, I know that sounds like a, a basic, but it's not. Look at um, the Scottish team with some of the ball on the deck, and, and they're good wide passers, but look at Italy, look at England, look at Wales, lots of ball on the deck, lots of ball in behind. Seems like basic, but it's it's really important. Ireland are very comfortable. Uh, Hugo Keenan was throwing that, you know many passes of that length with great ease. Mac Hansen was the other key individual. Like, he was so impressive when he got on the ball 
Um, obviously, the catch in the 22, that was a real momentum changer. Brilliant shift in the momentum as well when he turned a couple of balls over in the wide in that opening 10 minutes of the of the uh, second half when Scotland were really putting Ireland under a bit of pressure and it was a time Ireland could buckle. And then Jebson Gibson Park, when he came on, it was one of his first touches. Ireland were under pressure. Scotland had put them down into, I think it was maybe five, 10 metres out from the goal line. It was a line out. He kicked a box kick that must have been 45 metres and just totally relieved all the stress and put Ireland in a, you know, in a very comfortable defensive position. Couple of, and there were many, many other moments, but I'm just singling those yeah, ones out. Yeah. Top players doing brilliant stuff. And I could go on. There was a massive tackle from uh, Peter O'Mahony, like a monster tackle. He drove someone to touch. James Ryan did the same. Jack Conan carried and offloaded and, and just had a phenomenal game. Um, you know, when we after we lost Doris and we were concerned about it. So there was it was it was very very impressive stuff. Stuart, it's a pretty handy psychological trick to be able to convince yourselves as a team that. Adversity is a good thing. This is what we want, and this is where we're going to test our metal. Yes, it is. Um, it's also handy when you've when you've got the self belief that comes with winning again and again and again, and a, a structure that is fluid. I think what we're seeing in this Six Nations, there's a sort of split between the good teams and the not very good teams, and the not very good teams have a structure that they find very hard to change. The very good teams are able to be very fluid in what they're doing. And had Ireland not had a fluidity to be able to keep changing, as Shane said, when when the injuries were coming, changing how they played and how they think, I think they would have gone down. For example, um, you know, my team, England, my country, uh, would not have been able to withstand um, the amount of injuries Ireland suffered so early. Um because there's no flexibility in how they think. Ireland act, um, they think, and they know what they're doing. I, I Like Shane, I, I was enthralled in the first half. I, I think Scotland are a, a deeply improved team, and I think they threw a lot at Ireland. And, OK, they lost Richie Gray too, which hurt their line-out. We shouldn't forget that. But Ireland suffered with, with a loss of personnel. They had... Uh, uh, an, an outstanding Scottish attacking midfield coming at them. Russell, Tui, Pilotu and Jones have been beautiful in their in their rugby and they carved up Ireland like they've been carving everyone. But Ireland just settled and they came again. And, you know, I, I, Gibson Park, I mean, people forget about him. He hasn't played uh, in the Six Nations and... I feel he's as important to Ireland as any player they have. And Shane talked about that box kick that led to the try. Everything he did when he came on uh, was meaningful. And the pace that he injects, he allowed Ireland, if I use a boxing analogy, Scotland came at them and they threw everything. And then Park came on and suddenly Ireland were just too quick for Scotland. And Scotland looked leaden and they looked leggy. And this guy at Scrum Hearts is just moving everything around. And I, I don't want to uh, denigrate uh, Murray or Casey, but he's different class. Uh, and Ireland are a different team when he's playing. And, you know, if if I was uh, Steve Borthwick or I was any team uh, getting ready for the World Cup, uh, you'd watch that game and see how Ireland bounce back from a tough occasion. And you think this is a very serious team. 
um, I thought Scotland gassed out in the second half. It was really clear in the first half they said, we're going to get after Ireland by tempo. So from the very first time Hogg got the ball, I think, I think a free kick, he tapped it, drove it down the touchline. Yeah. We saw them with the quick line outs. Everything they were trying to do was around tempo. And I'm sure that was the plan. It's like if Ireland can't deal with our, our speed. They can't deal with our tempo. And in many ways it worked. And but for an amazing tackle by Hugo Keenan, um, sort of on uh, Tour de Popu, um, you know Ireland they would have had more uh, res- Scotland would have had more results for for that. But the thing was, maybe it was misjudged because they could not keep it going in the second half. It looked to me as if they gassed out, and Ireland went to another level. So. That's kind of another thing in Ireland's armory now. If you're saying, well, the way to beat Ireland was a tempo. It's like, well, you better make sure that you can do that tempo for 80 minutes because otherwise we'll see a certain situation that we definitely saw um, evolve in the mid-stage of that second half where Scotland were running on empty, Ireland's line speed was up, and then thanks to Jebson Gibson Park, and maybe, you know, as a as a result of, of him moving the ball, the tempo on the Ireland team was something that Scotland couldn't live with. Mm. Do you think Scotland fell apart mentally as well? I'm thinking of the Tui Pilatu kick that was miles out of play. Uh, Finn Russell's simple forward pass led to an Irish scrum that ultimately led to an Irish try. Uh, there was the Fagerson forward pass that went like five metres forward. And then they did they didn't, I thought the second they realised we didn't have a hooker to throw in, they should have just been kicking to touch the whole time and putting pressure on us. And also forcing us to throw middle and, and long. There was, a, there was a number of, I think, tactical errors from them. Um, but the performance in the second half, or the lack of performance, was a conditioning issue. They were dead on their feet. And those errors that we saw were fatigue errors, many of them. Like those forward passes, you know, Fagerson's forward pass. He was, yeah. he was oh. pulled off straight away afterwards, but he was gone. Um they weren't getting into place early enough. They weren't putting any footwork on the carry. So they were. there was massive fatigue elements oh, to but it. Sorry, Shane, the, you, the you line-out thing alone, though. You can see that you clearly there. Do you not think the line-out thing alone? Oh, so, so I'll go on to the line-out thing. So yeah. that's fatigue errors that were on the pitch. Tactical errors, Simon, you're 100% right. They did try to get the ball off the field a little bit more because that was kind of the natural thing. But it's more than that. You've got a line-out um, thrower in, in Van der Fleer who was admirable, but we certainly know it's not his first or second or mm. third job to do. They didn't put people up fast enough at the front. Now, on the occasions when, um, and I think there was maybe three by the end of it, but there was the first line-out he did went over the back, right? And they were overthrows. So Ireland reverted to pretty much ball at one, straight up at two. That was really clear what they were going to do. How at Scotland were getting beaten to the jump. How mm. was that possible? Mm. Like you get somebody up early fast to make sure that that first jumper doesn't get in front of you, that you've got massive pressure on Van der Fleer. And if you want to, you put a second, you, you put your second pod up just behind the first. So leave the back. If he can throw it over there, fair play to him, but he can't. So I, I couldn't believe the naivety from from Scotland and not just, you know, I said there was errors on the pitch that were fatigue based, but that was an error coming down from um, the, um, you know, from the, to- to the coach's box. I would have said players, uh, players on the pitch could figure that out, Shane. I would say an under 15 team would figure that out. Yeah, maybe, but it should definitely be messaging coming down. Also, I don't know why they took Schumann off. Like this, the, the Scotland bench is not strong and especially at scrum time and Ireland made the, you know, brave decision to 
you know, to not go to uncontested scrums or maybe the smart decision not to go to uncontested scrums. I was doing the commentary with with um, um, Johnny Beatty. And as soon as the guys came on in the front row, he said, watch this, watch this. <laughs> and exactly what happened, our, you know, three props in the front row absolutely destroyed the scrum. And that was it then. They, they could have line out, but they didn't capitalize. Now, at that stage, we had the scrum. Stuart, I mean, how, how much of this are you putting down to Scotland? I think of all the false dawns they've had in recent seasons, this one's got to hurt more than almost any, particularly with the World Cup match on the horizon between these two teams. I expected to see enough from Scotland over 80 minutes that would worry me for for the World Cup. But the way they capitulated in the second half, I mean, it was it was embarrassing, frankly, wasn't it? I, I, I wouldn't be as harsh on Scotland as you. Um I don't think it was just a physical thing. I think it was a psychological thing. I think Shane made the point. They threw everything they had at Ireland in that first 40. And they were, were they 8-7 up or 8-7 down? 8-7 down, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was almost as if, my God, what else is there? And that's the mark of a, a, a team that plays some good rugby but are in a developmental stage of their game. They didn't know what to do. I've seen it with so many teams. I think, you know, the line out, a top international team would have known. And I know what you're saying about an under 15 team should work it out. But the number of professional teams, club, provincial and international, who just wait for their coach to tell them everything is fundamentally uh, problematic in the game. And Ireland have work their way beyond that. And yes, of course, Scotland should have put two pods up at the front and said, right, there's a big gamble. And if, if it comes off, good on you. Um, they didn't. Um, so they got a lot wrong there, but they are capable of getting a lot right. Uh, and they do have... The, they caused Ireland a, a, a lot of problems in that first half. Now, had Keenan not made that tackle... Uh, had 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 one or two turnovers not been secured so close to the line, and Scotland had a, a an eight or ten point lead at half time, then psychologically and physically it's different because Shane knows as well when you're winning and you you know you're on top you're you're flying you've put everything into it and you still find yourself behind suddenly the lungs do start to ache a little bit more and the legs do go a little bit more. And the little things that you aren't quite so good at go. Earlier in this tournament, for example, you know, Scotland's restart has has looked a really weird and wobbly thing. That's what happens to teams who aren't quite at that level. But I wouldn't say this is a capitulation by Scotland in the Six Nations because that would be saying that, you know, they were there to win that game. This is an outstanding Irish team and, and Ireland had to show great resilience. And that question, it's like uh, England and France. Yeah, you, you can look at that and say England were goddamn awful. And in many, many ways they were. But that also denigrates the quality and the accuracy and the power of the French performance. And it's always hard to assess between how bad and how good. And I think what you're doing at the moment in in knocking Scotland is actually in a weird sort of way you're knocking your own country because this is a very good island team. I, I get that sir and, and at our best and <laughs> with all our bodies on the pitch that's all true but with the amount of the amount of madness that we had to deal with 
if Scotland can't even compete in the second half, can't even score a point over 53 minutes against an Ireland team that beleaguered. And don't forget the likes of Furlong, Sexton, a lot of players on the pitch had very, Jemison Gibson Park when he came on, Henshaw had very little mm. rugby as well. There were so many, we were there, we were there for the taking at the weekend. And uh, they didn't no, even lay no, a glove. No, no, we weren't no, there. At, 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 no, early no. in the second half, when, 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 when we lose our, lose we, our hooker, we, we were our definitely not there for the taking. We're definitely not there. At, for the at, at eight seven, struggling. We as were said, struggling struggling to contain their midfield, was, and they, they don't lay a glove on us in the second the, half. There was an the opportunity for Scotland. Scotland. There was an opportunity yeah. for Scotland, certainly, but the, we were not there for the taking. And these players, look at the twenty three that was done, even with the injuries, and even everything that, that happened. Um, this, the players that were on the pitch were of a really, really high standard. You say, yeah, you know, Robbie Henshaw had to come on. Robbie Henshaw coming on is not a bad thing. <laughs> Robbie Henshaw yeah. has been Ireland's best player for the last... Sh- Sh- they're, they're of a high standard, but I mean, Keane Healy's not a high standard hooker. Uh, Josh Underflair is not a high standard line-out thrower. The, the way, the, the positions they were being asked to play. Yes, the line-out was an issue, right? Which Ireland dealt admirably with, right? And they dealt with it. And so it wasn't a gimme. Because it clearly wasn't. The scrum, actually him coming, them having three props in the scrum made the scrum stronger. That's that's just that's no, but, that was but, but, demonstrable. But, 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 say the line. Say the line out. It's not just about how they fail to steal lineouts. It's about the fact that we then lose attacking platforms out of that. They know that we can't throw to the back. They know we have to limit ourselves. We're losing a massive platform yeah. there. Even even for the low try, right? Which which was a line out to the front by us. We secured it really easily. That wasn't really a pod challenging. And then we got quite a nice pass away. Whereas normally that should be quite slow ball where you have very limited options. But we ended up going through the phases until we get in the low try. And it just, yeah, I, I think Scotland got things wrong on and off the pitch. But I also think, just to go back to the very start of the game, say we were pretty unlucky for the Sheehan try not to be given. That's, a, you know, a strange law that maybe should have just been an advantage to Ireland. There was also the fact that Hogg knocked the ball out of Murray's hand. I thought we were going to score a try out of that amazing Jack Conan break and a sweet another sweeping attacking move. So I think Ireland probably... On the balance, things would have been further ahead anyway, but for those two, like it should have been a hog yellow or certainly advantage to Ireland play on and see if we can score a try. And I think the Sheehan one probably should have been advantage as well. Uh, yeah. and I, I've, got, I've got to say as well, you're talking about players that haven't played for a long time. Can't really use that as a justification for saying you're there for the taking because Gibson Park um, changed the way Ireland played. He accelerated them hugely. Uh, and again, I, I've got to say, I, you know, I'm looking at this um, as a non-Irishman and I'm thinking that is very ominous. I don't, Scotland aren't going to win a World Cup and, and they were never going to win a Six Nations. They are improving, but they're up against a team who showed just how much further they are ahead. Uh, Conan's performance, I mean, we, I think we'd all agree that uh, Doris has been one of the best players in this tournament. Conan came on. And he was the same bloke that I've been ranting about for years until Doris took his position. He was he was fantastic. Uh, talked about Gibson Park. And, and the other thing, great teams, key moments. Uh, and nobody has talked about Sexton's two conversions. Mm. The first one gave Ireland uh, more than a seven-point lead. The second one, both from the touchline, meant that even two converted scores didn't give Scotland a chance. If if you're in a battle and, and you're blowing and the kicker comes on from the touchline and he just takes the margin away from you like that, that is painful. These were 
stilettos in the back from Johnny Sexton. And all of this, uh, the the strength in depth, the resolve, um, the ability to come up with those killer moments. This is what, <clears throat> if you want to say, what's a great team? Not great in the way that dull commentators say everything is great all the time. <laughs> I mean, truly great. Not a Grand Slam winning team. I mean, a great team, a team that could go to and win a World Cup final. That's what Ireland are showing in their bits and pieces, I, I think. And that psych- psychology is interesting, not just for this game, but more broadly. What I did not think Scotland were intimidated by Ireland in the lead up to this game. And that you know happens. Sometimes teams are beaten before they go out in the field. They weren't. They went after Ireland in a massive way. But they became, I don't know if intimidated is the right word, but you could almost see it. They were they became disheartened in that second half with all the adversity that we've discussed here for Ireland. And still you could almost see their faces just going, How is this yeah. unfolding in the way it's unfolding? And there was a loss of energy. And I've talked about maybe them gassing out physically, but there is an emotional point to that as well, where the emotion drains out of you. And that has an impact on psychology and body language and actual physicality as well. And that was very, yeah. very obvious to see when you looked at the at the, the Scotland players. Ireland took it up to another level. Their speed off the line in the second half, where Scotland were having super fast ball, momentum, and getting over the gain line time after time after time just did not exist. They were getting trapped behind the gain line. Ireland were hunting them down like dogs. And then when Ireland got the ball, their, the ease with which they were going wide and the tempo they were playing with was exceptional. So, um, all, you know, I think Scotland have taken a stride because I've seen Scotland teams before be beaten before they go on the pitch. That wasn't the case. But they were beaten in that period just after the second half when they should have been maximising the opportunity. Stuart, can I ask you, when Farrell left the England job back in 2015, did you ever foresee him producing a team that had this sort of array of attacking manoeuvres and the versatility and all the things we've spoken about? No, because uh, he was part of an England management that played very much that second wave uh, attack that that was still fairly new and was was, uh, predominantly a a New Zealand invention. And England just copied it and they had nothing else. And Farrell had many qualities, Great leadership skills. I thought he uh, defensively was very strong. Um, I guess I'd never seen him as a number one, um, and maybe I, maybe there were clues because because there were times when uh, Stuart Lancaster very much felt that it was quite hard to be the number one with Farrell as his number two, and his forcefulness of personality uh, does come out. I mean, he was very keen on Sam Burgess playing in that the whole sort of uh divisive issue with England in the World Cup it was his call he you know Lancaster said to me he said you know uh, I'm not certain about him others are and it, and it was Farrell so Farrell has great leadership powers but no I, I can't say I saw that ability to grab a, a game of rugby union and and shape it and and the, the greatest thing of all, though, is in an age when 
people know the game. They talk to me about, well, this stat and this stat and this stat and this stat and the data proves. Data doesn't prove anything. Data can be used. Farrell has a feel. And, of course, uh, statistics have a role. But first and foremost, it's I, I'll say it again, fluidity, flexibility. These are the words that have made a difference to Ireland because lots of teams have heart and soul and fight. Um, but Ireland uh, have become a team of better individuals because they're a better team. And it's not just Leinster. It, this is this is a bit beyond Leinster. The the sort of edge that has developed in, in someone like Peter O'Mahony. He's always been an edgy, edgy sort of character, but he's become an outstanding rugby player. The, 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 the whole shape of Ireland, the whole leadership as Farrell has not made them just a better team. He's made all the players better players. And, and I think the two, when that happens, Shane, together, it, it makes for a very potent combination. Um, I think... It- all the, the the skill level that Ireland are playing with is off the charts, and and Ireland could be playing winning rugby, which they are, but they're playing brilliant rugby as well. It's the most enjoyable, I think, some of the most positive rugby any Irish team has ever played, and it is the most successful um, team. As likely to be, they uh, secure the Grand Slam this weekend. They're the most successful Irish team ever, and that's before they go out to the World Cup, uh, and they're playing in in this beautiful way. And what Farrell has done, and I did not expect Farrell to be able to do this, and we said this before, I saw him as a Joe Schmidt light. He's done two things. He's made the players more comfortable and more trusting in their own skill set. So he has not reduced, um, as a lot of players do, reduce what the players' involvement are or limit them and and I've been in teams where it's been props. You do not carry the ball here. You do not pass the ball in these circumstances. You do not get isolated in a wide position. That's all gone now. It feels to me it's like every player is they're they're seeing every player that um, um, as credible in every position. And there's no excuses made for you know what number you have on the back. So when they all feel really comfortable in everything they're doing, and if ever that was demonstrated. It was demonstrated at the weekend by Keane Healing coming in and propping. No excuse, just go, uh, sorry, um, um, hooking. Just go in and get it done. And van der Fleer going in as a liner. Now, they're extreme examples, but we've seen it right through um, you know, the performances of Ireland where you have props, passing and running, defending in tricky positions. You've got players throwing 15, 20-meter passes, You've got kicking game off and in a number of different people. We were the best stats on the um, the fifty twenty two. All these different elements of the game, players are being empowered to do them, and they are trusting in themselves. So there's one, there's this overall game plan, an ambitious game plan that he's saying, "Let's do it." Secondly, he's instilling in the players the joy and the confidence to actually do it. Some of that back play, the way he got around Scotland in that second half, was. It was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. And um, however he's managed to fuse those two things, it means that 
Ireland are maximising their players and maximising their performance. Yeah, by all accounts, by all accounts, well, Van der Fleer had actually been practising, has practised line-out throws and Keen Healy was ready to go. You'd wonder how many scenarios Farrell has actually planned for because it seems like he's Keen got Healy all the... Named, Keen Healy was named in all three front named row positions. Named in all three yeah. front row positions. So it's, it's, uh, who knows? It kind of boggles the mind a little bit. Now, he is going to have to use all that resourcefulness during the week to put out the strongest team he can against England and we're going to have to guard Stewart against uh, an England backlash but based on what you saw at the weekend do they even have that in them? No. England don't have that. England England don't have the skill level. They don't have the dynamism up front and England at the moment are are relying and they tried it against France. they, They started the game and they looked to put, though they picked Marcus Smith, they looked to put box kicks in and they looked to slow it down and put France under pressure. This was predictable. France knew it was coming. They put missed passes in, offloads here and there. They were 7 0 up after five minutes, and England were never back in this game. Of course, England, um, in a way, the pressure's off because no one expects them to win. But then you say, so they'll throw everything at Ireland, but. I don't know what is everything. It doesn't look very much at the moment. I mean, everyone is saying this was one of the worst performances ever. I tell you something now, England were worse against Wales than they were against France, but France were very good. So this this uh, changed it. England's best performance in this tournament has been at home to Scotland, where they lost. They've had an awful season and, you know, no amount of gung-ho sort of promises can do anything. I, I don't think um, that they don't have the flexibility of players. They don't have the skill level. When Dan Cole came back in the squad, he said, what Steve does, he stops us all trying to do everything and gets you to do one or two things that you can do very well. And that's what you're told to do. So whereas Furlong is passing like a centre on his first game back. His timing is beautiful and his the first pace, his first step before he passes is like a fly half. You know, Dan Cole is glorying in the fact that he's been brought back to just scrum, tackle when he can and hit a rug. If he gets a ball in his hands, he's standing there ponderously and nothing can happen. This is where England are at the moment. France and, and Ireland are light years ahead of them. They, they, England... Um, Borthwick has England trying to play like the Leicester team uh, that he got to be English champions. But being English champions and being Six Nations contenders when you've got France and Ireland uh, uh, with their level of play is not even the same sport, I'm afraid. Uh, Stewie, that's exactly the, the point I was making. That And maybe Borthwick has to go back to a more basic game plan and build from the ground up. But that's shouldn't be enough against Ireland. No. You know, you can play, and some teams, and I'm thinking South Africa, can play a very, very reduced game plan, but they have, um, they also have those key individuals who can make something from nothing. So they're almost unique. But if you're trying to be a very, you know, play a very basic game plan against some of the world's best sides, and Ireland are the world's best side at the moment, legitimately, if Ireland you know, play anywhere near their um, top level, then it's not going to be enough because Ireland can tackle all day. They can deal with that basic play. 
um, if they will be able to identify who the key runners are, who's the threats, who aren't the threats. And then Ireland aren't going to all of, a cha- all of a sudden change next week and become much more conservative in their game plan, no matter who's picked, no matter who they've run. Listen, if Bard comes in, which he probably will, do you think he's going to be more conservative? Henshaw, is that going to make him more conservative? Um, Gibson Park, Jack Conan? No, they'll be doing what they've been doing for the last you know 18 months or more. Um, and for England to you know to think that they're going to win with a you know a very very reduced game plan that relies on Ireland blowing up in some way mm. and there is no real indication in the tournament so far that that's something that's likely to happen uh, i mean you 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 look at england overwhelming force is the key word that's and at times England have used that against Ireland in the not so distant past in six nations they had a pack that just um, overwhelmed the Irish pack. And they gave them problems uh, last season when they were a man down. But this is not an, you know, this is, this is, uh, this is an English pack without one huge rigid man. What they would give for an Omani there to just symbolize something. Uh, they've got decent footballers, but they've, they, 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 it's not dynamic. So if they're not dynamic, how does Marcus Smith? I feel for him because half of England is loathes him wearing a white shirt, but he cannot play his game if he is not on the front foot, and he can't get on the front foot if England can't dominate. Even the lineout isn't isn't an area of great strength at the moment. So what do they do? They go back, as you said, they'll do. We'll go back. We'll play basics. We'll kick. We'll chase. We'll put pressure on. But every kick has to be brilliant. Every kick has to be contestable. England's kicking game is non-contestable most of the time. It's long. They'll let Hugo Keenan just pick his line and just launch counter-attacks. And England in the last 20 minutes will be the team um, out on its legs. There's no way, there's no way whatsoever that this island team are going to freeze. They could be inspired. And there is no way that England can rise to the occasion because they just simply at their very best, don't have the wherewithal. England are a a team that play uh, rugby from the last World Cup age. They they yearn for overwhelming force and solidity. Ireland are a team playing rugby that goes towards this World Cup. Even South Africa are beginning to play powerful rugby with pace. France are doing it. The three best teams in the world are trying to merge uh, force... Uh, with ability. In England are looking backwards. And you can't turn your head and look back into the mirror and and win in Dublin. There's no way. So, Stuart, you're guaranteeing us a Grand Slam, is that right? <laughs> well, I, I have also um, had a, a substantial bet on Ireland before it started. But, <laughs> but in Cheltenham week, I, I'm an old man now who knows that the wallet shouldn't talk. But you cannot guarantee anything in life. Um, but but you don't think England could scrum their way and kind of maul their way to a win like they almost did a year ago with 14 men? It's completely... Uh, Ireland Ireland um, keeps saying this. People keep saying, oh, Ireland, they peaked, blah, 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 between World Cups. I, so they're, they're like... They are not peaked. They haven't peaked. They're getting better. Last year was completely different. Ireland are a much better team than they were last year. And the other thing... You beat Ireland. How'd you beat Ireland? Last fifteen years, get to Johnny Sexton, Noble Sexton. But because of the 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 breadth of the Irish game plan, 
Sexton, I think everyone is just starting to realise now this whole thing about what are we going to do if Johnny's not there? That question, you you boys aren't asking that question like you used to do Mm. because Ireland now, Sexton is a part of Ireland. He is not the be-all and end-all. He is not, they've got more than one talisman. I, I, I just... Who do England get to? I I, I I just don't see how Ireland can lose this game. Those definitives do, don't say particularly well with me or I think anyone from Ireland. But I, you know, I, in some way, I, I agree in many ways. I, I think it would be very difficult to England to win. But just to that last point that you made, Stewie, on, on, on Saxon, I think, listen, he's still a very, very crucial figure. But I was buoyed by the Mac uh, Hansen try, um, which Sexton was on the short side of the field, having taken the ball round the corner. Ireland came back, and this is in, you know, bear in mind, this is in the opposition 22. They came back with that loop play with Ringrose to uh, Keenan, who was the link man then out for the second wave. And then that super flat pass to Mac Hansen as well. So in what, what I would have previously, we would have previously said was a very, um, Johnny Sexton type shape and re- requirement for him to be involved. He wasn't, and it looked perfectly. It was perfectly executed, you know. And a ring rose will be out because of the you know, horrific knock he took. But his development into somebody who's willing to be in that sort of first five eight role and um, and um, the wingers desire to get involved and be a link man on either side from the short side. And then, of course, Hugo, Keenan, Hugo Keenan's comfort in taking and delivering a ball of 15, 20 metres is is a very positive movement for Ireland. Shane, just on the injuries and how we deal with that over the course of the week, I mean, obviously we have such... We've seen the strength of death even in the course of that game. So hopefully we'll be okay. But to lose so many players... I mean, I remember losing all those players against... Uh, it's a diff- different time, but against France in the World Cup in 2015. And we got through that, but then we felt the effects of it come the come the quarterfinals. Is it, how do you think we're going to cope over the course of this week without these players? Okay, well, we'll look at the back line. Um, Ringrose is, is a major loss defensively and Ataki's just a beautiful player and um, you know it was it was a really he was having a great game as well I'm just really disappointed for him on his 50th cap, cap and I hope he comes back not too soon but I hope he comes back uh, as good as he was playing so look at the back line um, uh, Robbie Henshaw slots in there he'll play at 13 Bundiaki will play at 12 you know McCluskey will probably come onto the bench that's fine you know, we've been dealing with this uh, with a, you know, we rarely have all our centres ready. Um, so that's a sort of rotation. That's fine. Uh, I would imagine that Jemison Gibson Park will come in probably up the level of that back line a bit. Um, and Connor will go back to the bench. No problem there. So we've also got, um, uh, as I said, we've got our cover with McCluskey. who's very comfortable, played all the games up to this this point. And then we go through um, the rest of the pack. So Henderson now, yes, but Henderson hasn't been a mainstay. There's probably a big, um, you know, um, portion of the rugby population would say, you know, Baird should be in there anyway. He's in. That doesn't drop the standard. Um you know, um, Caelan Doris, I, I'm not sure what his situation is or, or whether he'll be back or not. But, you know, Conan is not, it's not, a, it's not a drop off a cliff there, certainly mm-hmm. based on the performance level that we saw the weekend. Um, um, so where the real challenge is for us is, is probably in Hooker. And it seems as if, um, Sheehan may come back and there's a 
think there's a ch- chance that Kelleher could even be there. Uh, maybe a risk going in with those two into the last game, but if not, um, I'm not sure Herring at the moment. Um, but if you know if he if he's okay if he comes back in, Herring has proved himself to be a much better performer than I thought he was a year ago. So. You know, is this a, a massive disaster for Ireland? Have they, are they carrying some injuries? They're probably carrying about the same number of injuries that you'll carry into a quarter or a semi-final of the World Cup. So we better deal with it. And I presume there's no chance of complacency like we would have had, say, in the past against the likes of Scotland and lost the odd one. There is if we keep listening to Stuart here, say. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, do, or does the Grand Slam thing kind of eradicate that? I'm the Trojan horse. I'm, I'm trying to make you feel way too confident. Um, I, th- I, I honestly don't think that is... A even a tiny remote possibility. Yeah. These guys, they feel like machines. And uh, I was talking to to Tommy Bow um, over the over the course of the weekend, and he, he was talking about conversations he had people in camp and, and Paul O'Connell and and saying, you know, those fired up speeches, and you know, this is this is right where Paulie perfect for Paulie. It was like these guys don't react to that. This is not the type of they don't need that emotional. They were laughing at half time about all the injuries. They are. They it are shows so, you their mentality, yeah. Rather than so, panicking, they, yeah, they feel so comfortable in their own skin, mm. and so trusting in what they're doing and their skill level and their quality level. Now, listen, I've never gone down and won a test series in New Zealand. That's got to give you some sort of ingrained confidence, doesn't it? You know, they have won, um, you know, one away game, one game away from winning the, the Grand Slam last year, um, beat France really well at home this year playing some phenomenal run, won all the games in the autumn series. There are you know, more medals than um, you can shake a stick at across, um, the, um, across the whole squad. So there is an ingrained confidence, professionalism, that means that um, they are almost sort of like, like mach- they're like machine-like when it comes to um, delivering performance. So those other factors that may have been, I think, this, listen, this, it's not a slam dunk. Yeah. You know, they can have I'm just thinking a... of all those England teams in the late 90s, early 2000s, Stuart, that were the best team in Europe repeatedly, and then Wales nobbled them, France nobbled them, and we nobbled them. Yeah, it's not... I, 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 there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference here, and the difference is, and you, you can actually add uh, France in 21. Uh, that England team uh, that developed and became World Cup winners and, and were by a mile the best team in Europe, by a mile... What they were doing, they were pushing the, the boundaries of what they could achieve under Woodward, and they would lose a game against Scotland they should never have lost. They, 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 there was that howler in Cardiff. They had a few. They had a few like that, but that's because they were trying to see how good they can be, and and the fact that they were scoring all these tries that English rugby. You know, backs have been sort of the cursed breed forever. Suddenly, they were the gods because they were trying things. But when you when you push those limits, then you're exposed. And England made mistakes. And you know, 2003 was the the the, the Ireland game was the was the perfect timing. Uh, the prep their World Cup cycle came to its end there. They and um, and they they played their best performance of all their games in that 42-6 win, and they went on to win the World Cup. Uh, but, you know, it, the earlier England teams were, were learning. The ones that won the World Cup were actually had gone slightly over the top, but they knew how to win. Now, I think um, Ireland, to a certain extent, I, I coming on this programme a couple of years ago, and I, 
I defended your management when when Ireland had lost a few games, and I remember saying they're playing good rugby, and they were coming up against a Welsh team who won the tournament. I remember saying there's nothing between the two teams, but Ireland were emerging and coming through, and there's a clear pattern there. And New Zealand wasn't the culmination. New Zealand was the next stage, physically, psychologically. And so Ireland are still on this shift. And that's why, you know, they're on the shift, but they're almost there. And and that's why, you know, England, when they lost those games, were not almost there. England were in the early stages, like Ireland when they lost to Wales a few years ago. Ireland are are, are getting the... they're, They're almost ready for the Grand Slam and then the World Cup. Them and France are at peaks, you know, and, you know, we haven't mentioned France, but uh, France were very good in, in many aspects in defeat in Dublin, and no one should write them off because they lost to this island team away from home. Best two teams in the world. The Grand Slams are being won uh, by the world's best two teams, and it's whoever's got home advantage. And it could be the, you know, it could easily be the World Cup final. Um and Ireland are going to have to overcome home advantage. But both their cycles are, are really good. England's is not good. That's another thing that counts against them. Um, so I don't think you can look at uh, that, that England team under Woodward leading up to the World Cup and the early Galtier teams and say they lost games they should have won. Ireland, I think, are in a very different, uh, far more mature position in how they approach the games. And in many ways, best thing for any Ireland fan was how they handled the Scotland game and the injuries. That wasn't a team. If that was a team at the start of the cycle, they would have lost. This is a team nearing the end of the cycle. They know how to win because they've become not just a very fine team to watch and attractive, but they've become winners. Yeah. Hopefully there's a grand slam to win at the end of what's going to be an exciting week. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks, Shane. Pleasure. Thanks, man. Cheers. You say something on this show and you're like, geez, you know, that could come back to bite me in the arse now, you know? But like, I can just go out and say what I like about the Scotland rugby team. They will, you'll never ever get a chance to play audio back to me and be like, what were you thinking? How could you have come out and said such a thing? Oh, Flood of Scotland, when will we see your like again? Scotland. Are a disgrace to world sport. That fought and died for the jobs. Your wee till and, and you, you can stood against him. My name's Jacqueline McCaffrey. Proud Edwards Army. You're always on the same tail. Never fit. And sent him home. Scotland rugby team, the sporting world's greatest pinata. <laughs>
Just a final word on the injuries. I mean, obviously, we've been talking about them in the context yep. of how Ireland dealt with them, how Scotland failed to take advantage of what was going on there, and also the impact, if there is going to be much on the, the Ireland chance of winning a Grand Slam. There is also the ball. I, I, can, I can picture myself in a few months' time talking, having a kind of violence in rugby conversation and then looking mm. back and, and thinking... How did we analyze it all in that, just only in those terms? You know, it's like it's yep. one of those ones where you do have to take stock a little bit, and it's not yeah. because there what maybe it's there are some matches you watch and there's an egregious issue where so a player hasn't been taken off and he's been concussed and there's a big outcry and that's talked about quite a lot. In this case, there wasn't really one of those. Everyone was dealt with correctly, but there were just so many injuries. Uh, mm. that, and ones that forced players out of a game. It was a tough all watch on that score, particularly obviously the Gary Ringrose incident, which was yeah. one of those where, I mean, people talking about tackle height and all that kind of stuff. He he, he went mm. low enough, it seemed, there, and yet still ended up in a bad situation, unfortunately. That's it. And on the day today, World Rugby have brought in a recommendation. They want at all kind of community level, underage level, to be a belly high tackle and they're looking as well for the unions and even to be trialed at professional level nobody has taken them up on that offer yet so it'll be up to the individual unions the suggestions are even though the RFU are going to be in consultation with the clubs and schools that they will try to go for this as well we won't know yet for a while but it, it was sort of interesting because there's the audience and like say earlier in the Six Nations the Mohammed Hawes sort of headbutt got the red card for it I kind of think those sorts of things will eventually be wiped from the game, players like that will get dropped, won't get picked again, and they'll just start to slowly realise the consequences of dangerous wow. foul play and reckless play and reckless clearouts and all the rest. But I sort of feel like the Ring Rose one was a little more depressing from a rugby fan standpoint because he's brilliant technique, like one of the best tackle techniques in the world game. Goes low, puts his body through sort of the midriff the the other player, um, never sort of puts himself in a position where he's vulnerable yet makes the tackle uh, unbelievably fit and flexible and all the rest. And all he did was get it wrong by sort of an inch or two and his jaw sort of hits the hip of, uh, I think it was Blair Kinghorn, wasn't it? And he only get and it's sort of a flying tackle. They're pretty hard to execute, but he only, yeah. he still only gets it wrong by an inch or two and it's a, it's a horrible blow. And then there's 10 minutes of everybody in the stadium and everybody on TV worrying about a player's um, health, um, whether it's his neck or his, you know, it's concussion or whatever it may end up being, maybe both. And sort of you wonder, can rugby, Ken's touched on this before, can rugby actually eradicate these ones? Whatever about, the you know, violent play. Foul play or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of think those will go. I just don't know how rugby ever solves a problem like that. It's a tough one, yeah. All right. We had a great reaction to our interview with Rashida Adeleke the week before last. Dervil O'Rourke was also on that pod expressing her unbridled optimism about Rashida's potential. At the weekend, Adeleke picked up a silver medal at the NCAA Championships in what would I, des- I would describe as a bizarrely structured race. So I don't know if you guys saw this. The final of the 400 metres is split into two races to facilitate the team element of the competition. My understanding is that basically the top eight places count for the team results, but there are only six lanes in an indoor race. So the final is raced over two 
legs effectively. Adelaide mm. won her race in a tie. Is that clear? Am I making myself clear, Kira? Yes. Yeah. 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 So basically, Adelaide runs her race, runs well, finishes in fifty forty five. She wins her part of the final, so she's in number one position. Then has to sit and watch the second race to see if she's won a medal, if she's won gold, or whatever's going on. Bit of a weird one. As it transpired, uh, Britton Wilson of Arkansas won the second race in a time of forty nine forty eight, the second fastest in history. So. That, that's that's pretty definitive regardless of what way it's structured so no shame in being beaten into silver by that run and it's another one along the way Derville did point out that Wilson was in this race and that it, it just if Adeleke doesn't bring home gold from this particular one don't worry yes. too much she's still well ahead of where a lot of people thought she would be at this stage in her 400 metre development and I was really encouraged by a tweet I saw from Michael Johnson one of the all time great 400 metre runners after yes, Adeleke semi-final to see this yeah he, so <laughs> yeah, the semi-final yeah, race was tweeted he retweeted it and I looked you know he, he, he tweets it a decent amount about NCAAs, but it's not like he's, he's retweeting every race or something. So, you know, he took time out to have a look at the technique. And what he said is, look out when she learns to use those arms. She's carrying them instead of using them to drive the legs. The difference is significant over 400. Helps increase speed and reduce fatigue. And like any good analyst, when I was when I watched what he said and watched it again, I was like, oh yeah, she, I, I can see what he means. She's not really pumping them. They're, just, they're, they're kind of useless there. They're not They're not levers. Come on, Rashida. I can't believe I didn't point this out to her when I had her on the, <laughs> yeah. on the show. But it, it's really encouraging that there's an obvious technical flaw there uh, so early on in yeah. her development that fix that and you'll, you'll knock another few tenths of a second off. So all speed ahead for Rashida Adeleke. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Thanks Thank Thanks, you on time and again. Thanks, lads. Thanks for listening. Grand Slam, Build Up, Champions League, podcasts, Republic of Ireland squad, all on the way this week. But not for you guys. You've got to be a World Service member. So sign up now on secondcaptains.com. You'll also get the pods ad-free. And the Second Captains podcast is part of the ACAS Greater Network. <laughs> glug, 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 glug. How did the storm is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 